bit thick tonight. There are layers here. He also just claimed to be God in those two scriptures. Jesus said, God will raise him up. And then he said, I will raise myself up. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Okay, so we have these two scriptures. It confirms it. Did Jesus ever say he was God? Absolutely so. It's in, it's in the text. Now, why were they in this place? Okay, why before the cross did these folks go down to paradise and not just go to heaven? Well, because Christ hadn't died on the cross yet. The propitiation for their sins hadn't been paid. The Lamb of God that all of them had participated in at the temple, offering up these sacrificial lambs, the Lamb of God that all those represented hadn't come yet. They're still just covered. They're not forgiven completely. It's not completely erased. There they are. But they died in faith. And so God had this all set up because Jesus has to be, and here's the key, he's the first fruits in everything. In order for anybody to go to heaven, the first person that goes to heaven is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It has to be Jesus. Second Corinthians, or it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or have died. He's the first. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 6-8. So we are always confident, knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with, with the Lord. All right. I know it's a lot. Paradise is down, pre-cross, before Jesus. He goes down for three days. The saved people, the folks waiting for the Messiah, see Jesus. He rises from the dead. He takes captivity captive. He ascends into heaven. He's the first fruits, and they rise with him. This is the first resurrection. Okay. He's up there. So paradise down before the cross, paradise up after the cross. When Paul comes into the mission field later on as a, a later apostle, when he gets caught up into paradise, he is up. Not an exciting doctrine, but an important one to know. So we understand, how does this all work? What happened to those saints? I get that question. Now you can answer that question this week. So what happened to, the, to David when he died? King David died, but he was a believer. Where did Abraham go? Were, were they in heaven? Are they in heaven? How could, no, they were all down in this place waiting. And Jesus led them captive and brought them up. Paul says, I was there. Another thing to learn about this section of Scripture, that verses 1 through 6 of chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. He had inexpressible words. I saw things and heard things, but I'm not allowed to share them. He got to see into things that we don't get to see, or most of us haven't been able to see. I wouldn't say you haven't. I don't know. Most of us can probably say with certainty, I've not seen heaven yet, or been there, or been exposed. John, the book of Revelation, he saw a lot of stuff up there, but he was allowed to write some things. When there were some thunderings up there, and he says, I'm going to write these things down, he says, no, 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 seal that up. I don't want him to hear that yet. And we don't even know what that is. Some things he was authorized to write, some things he wasn't. Paul says, the things I saw, it's not lawful for man to utter i got to keep those to myself. Now, why does he share that with them? It's like saying, I've got a great secret. I, I just can't tell you. you know. 
Well, now, you know, you do that to your kids. It's like, man, I mean, Friday is going to be awesome. Why? What's going on Friday? I can't say. That's just mean, kind of, isn't it? Paul is using this to establish his love and his relationship. Look, I'm a pretty big deal. He's just not trying to say it out loud, you know? I have seen things that I can't tell you about. I have been exposed to some of God's word in heaven, into the third heaven, that I'm not allowed to even write down for you. I'm sure of what I'm teaching. I'm sure of my love for you. I'm sure of my place in heaven. I'm sure. The idea is to build trust with them again, for them to look at him differently or back the way they used to look at him. These inexpressible revelations are privileged information, private word, a private word from the Lord, and that can happen for all of us. Not to be confused with private interpretation. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. So I want to kill two birds with one stone here. It is okay for you to hear special things from God for you out of His Word or whatever it is that you keep to yourself because He's just drawing you close and that, that's fine. You may not look at Scripture and say, I know what this means. Everybody's been wrong but me. Now God has shown me the true meaning of this prophecy. Everyone gather and listen. That's wrong. That's illegal. We have the same teacher. We have the Holy Spirit. He teaches and guides us. You don't need, he says in Scripture, you don't need teachers. Now, I'm going to follow up here. Because most of the New Testament is all about teachers teaching the Word of God to other people. He says you don't need them because the Holy Spirit is your teacher and guide. But that doesn't exclude the fact that God wants to use people to teach you things from His Word. He's your teacher and guide. He can use a person to teach you. He can use his word to teach you by itself. He can use circumstances. He can use all sorts of things to teach you, but people can be one of those things that God does to teach you or uses to teach you. We're tools in his hand. Can be. But no prophecy is of in private interpretation. Not at all. God wants you to have revelation. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. But now, brethren, Paul writes this, If I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? It's important to get revelation from God. It's one of those moments, I don't know how to describe it to you, but it just, there are, there are things you can learn, and then there's things you get. You know the difference between those two things? I do. I've gone to class, you know, to learn certain things, um, not biblical necessarily, but it could be welding. It could be um, how to take care of a plant. I've gone to a lot of strange classes in my life. I've got a, a lot of interesting things in my backpack. And a lot of those things I learned, but I didn't get. I don't get it, but I learned it. I can tell you about arc welding, but you should not look at my bead in an arc weld. It's nasty, especially you, Casey. I don't want you looking at that. That's why we call on you to do these things. But there are some things that I get. You know the difference. It's like, man, I get this. And I can go beyond that. I can go beyond what was, I can, I can begin to teach myself beyond what the teacher taught me. And you go further and further and further. That's revelation from God. You get into God's word, you're like, oh yeah, okay. I've memorized it. I've memorized it. I have no idea what it means, but I've memorized it. And then you get it in your heart. You go beyond, not beyond scripture, but you can apply it in so many different ways in your life and you can see it lived out in front of you. That's getting it. That's revelation. 
Paul says, I want to come to you, not with just tongues, because you can't understand me. What good is it? I want to give you revelation, knowledge, prophesying, or by teaching. Those are the things I want to give you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He writes to the Ephesians, Paul says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. He wants to do that for all of us. I don't know why some people understand Scripture faster or better as it seems. Sometimes it does seem that way. I was always in awe. Um, I don't, Chuck Smith isn't a God to me, but he's a man of God to me. And when I would go to conferences and watch him teach and listen to him, first of all, every time he taught, just cut to the heart every time. But in such a loving and gentle way, I just like, you know, cut deeper. Do a, get a couple knives out. Go for it. You know, I just felt like, oh, it received so much. But he would teach this, this way. He, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. And he'd go on reading, and he'd be looking at us as he's reading the entire chapter, not looking at the pages. I'm like, he knows the whole thing. He's memorized. And not even that, he just has done it so often. It's just like as his fingers go down the page, he's reading everything to us. You need to look down and make us feel better, you know? Us young guys that don't know like you do. That's revelation. That's understanding. He's been given a spirit, the ability to do that. It's amazing. He wants to do that for every single person. And you'll get one text at a different time than someone else will get a text, and it will be revealed to you, understood, applied, all these things in your life at different times. But he wants to do that for everybody. Now, I bring that up because, well... These inexpressible words that he utters, that he shares with everybody, um, this private revelation just for him, um, the moment that he had there with God isn't just for him. We can all have those moments, but you got to put yourself in that position, you know? You got to put yourself in that place. Now, when did this happen? Uh, we think maybe this happened, this moment took place in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. When did you get caught up into this third heaven? Well, he was probably dead after being stoned. But we don't know this for sure. I'm just putting that out there. But we think this, is a, this could be one of, it was about 14 years ago from when he wrote this that this took place. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, and Luke writes this because he wrote the book of Latin, he's the doctor. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So from a physician's standpoint, they thought he was dead, but he wasn't because I saw him get up. After the disciples surrounded him, what happened? Is it possible they raised him from the dead? Could be. Is it possible that he was just close to death? Could be. You know, I don't know. Um, Paul, even Luke doesn't know. But that could be the moment where he was so out of it, so disconnected from his physical body that he had that moment with the Lord. You know, um, I'm not saying he went up to heaven and came back. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, this also tells me something about all the books that are written about being to heaven and back and then writing books about what they saw. I mean, I don't want to spend the night there, but I'm really iffy about those books because if Paul said it was inexpressible and John had strict 
orders as to what he could share and what he couldn't share. I have a hard time with people just popping up and saying, I just saw all these things. Some of them don't line up with scripture. You know, it's like, I don't know. You know, you're awfully free with what you saw. Whereas the guys in scripture that I trust, you know, if they're not dead, they're not read. Those guys were very reverent about what they saw. I'm very careful. You're awfully flippant about your moment with God there. So I take those books with a great assault. In fact, I don't, I don't necessarily read them, but I know a lot of people do. I just be careful with that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's tantalizing. Ooh, ooh, you know, something other than this boring book. You know, Paul's talking about some exact same things that these folks at Barnes & Noble or wherever we get books now, they even have paper books anymore, um, wherever these are sold, you know, for 1995. Um, Paul gives you very good stuff for free. First of all, God gives it all for free. He doesn't charge us for it. And he gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything. So when there's something over here, that's fine, I, I guess. It just it better line up. Okay, or I throw it out. Um, anyway, I don't want to boast about these things. He says, I, I, I'll boast about my infirmities. And so he moves on to this next section here in, in verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, that's, that's why we make the connection that he's talking about himself in the previous section. He says, I, I, I saw these things. I couldn't express these things, or this guy couldn't, whoever this guy is. And then he goes on to say, I don't want to boast about my revelation. You see, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the song we sang tonight. Now, what is this thing? Well, the thing that throws us off, I think, as we try to figure out what this thorn is, is the word messenger. Everything else lines up. If you didn't have that word messenger, you would assume the thorn in the flesh is truly a physical infirmity, and I think it is. I really do. Um, what it is, is something that God has allowed to take place in Paul's life. It does come from the enemy. It isn't normal. Something happened to him that causes him to have this thorn, and it makes him weak in appearance to those around him. The reason Paul brings this up is because the Corinthian church was focused on the thorn, and it lost sight of the anointing in his life. The thorn was glaring, but the anointing began to disappear in their minds, and that's what bothered them about Paul is this thorn. Paul says, I've prayed about this thorn, whatever it may be. I've tried, and I've asked God to remove it from me. Three different times I begged God. And then it's as if God said, stop praying about this, leave it. Because his answer to him on the third time was, my grace is sufficient for you. Uh, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You need this thorn, Paul, in your life for me to shine through 
your life. If this thorn wasn't there, they would ascribe the things that you do, the anointing upon you from me as if it was from you, and then I don't get the glory, and I'm not exalted, and people don't look for me. They look for Paul, which is what's happened to everybody else. The Corinthian church had moved from thorn-ridden Paul to the guys that didn't appear to have thorns. They're looking outwardly. They're not looking at the anointing anymore. And find himself in a tough situation. He goes, look, I prayed about this thorn. God wants me to have it. And you know what? I'm glad I have it because it makes him glorious. He uses it. When I'm weak and frail and unsightly to you, that's when they say, that didn't come from Paul. That had to come from God. And Paul says, that's just fine with me. I want every word that comes out of my mouth glorifying God and not glorifying myself. It's a beautiful thing. So we believe it's an infirmity is what it is. The messenger one is what throws us off. Some have taken this passage of scripture and applied it to sin in Paul's life. That's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. He lists it at the bottom here. It's not sin. Some people say, I've asked God to remove this sin from my life, but he won't let me. It just keeps me humble. I keep preaching the word of God and still struggling in my sin. No, that's not what this is. You cannot use it to justify sin in your life at all. If we're set free, we're set free indeed. And for Paul to say that this is this somehow this thorn, this weakness, this sin in his life is something he's just going to have to live with. And God says, no, my grace is just going to cover over it. You're just going to have to be a wicked sinner. Nope. Because in this infirmity, he says in verse 10, as he describes it as an infirmity, an infirmity, an infirmity, verse 10, I take pleasure in infirmities. Can't say that about sin. And he lines it up with these other things that come upon him. The infirmity has come upon him. These reproaches have come upon him. These needs have come upon him. These persecutions, these distresses for Christ's sake have come upon him. You cannot say sin has come upon him for Christ's sake. It's wrong. So throw that foolish doctrine out. That's just people trying to get by with stuff in their lives. And I understand that there are sins that people have that they struggle with and continually battle and cannot figure out why. And this prayer sounds similar to your prayer about your sin. God, please take this away from me. I've asked for this three times. For You can see where people come up with this. But you cannot apply this section of Scripture to sin in your life. It isn't. Acts chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. He's on the road to Damascus. This is Saul at the time being changed to Paul. Hearing a voice, but seeing no one, then Saul arose from the ground. And when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus, into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. He had been blinded by Jesus, by this light that he saw in Damascus. Skip over to verse 17, as Ananias has been recruited by God to go heal Paul of his blindness and give him sight again. Ananias was a little reluctant, but is obeyed. Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you. You may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Many believe that this is Paul's infirmity, that this is the moment that it came upon him. Now, 
Some of the problems with that, I'll admit, is that that means that this messenger of Satan is an eye problem that didn't get rectified at this moment. I understand that's a problem for us. I don't know. Galatians 4.15 goes along with this. Why would he say this? As Paul writes to the Galatians, a church that he started, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So we're kind of putting two and two together as we work our way through Scripture. We don't have to be right on this at all. But it's possible that he had an eye problem. He had the weeping eyes, you know, always oozing. And God, please take this away from me. No, my grace is sufficient for you. You need that. Yeah, but when I do, people are kind of grossed out by it. And it's hard for them to look past my infirmity. No, 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 they are. They're just hearing the words now. They're not looking at you at all because of the infirmity. Oh, well, then give me more infirmities is the idea. So whether it's his eyes or not, we can understand. We can understand. The idea here, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, please don't look at the thorn or do look at the thorn. I don't care, but I'm telling you, it's the anointing on me that you should be paying attention to. It's the fact that I'm called to you. It's the fact that I love you. And he goes on then to describe this love. Verse 11, I have become a fool in boasting. You've compelled me. I hate talking about myself. I hate talking about my credentials and my pedigree. It's ridiculous. I feel like a fool, but you've compelled me to do so because that's all you hear. For I ought to have been commended by you, for in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. You didn't get a C actor here. You've got an A actor here, you know? You think I'm less? You think that I'm like, I'm on the B circuit for speaking? We couldn't get an A-lister? Oh, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not less. And the idea is I'm sharing the same gospel that they've all shared. I'm teaching the same word to you that they've all taught you. The only thing that you're seeing a difference in is not the content, but the carrier. And that's unfortunate, he says. I should have been commended for it by you, but I'm not. Truly, the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders, mighty deeds. For what is it in which you were inferior to other churches, except that I myself was not, a, was not burdensome to you? Forgive me this wrong. That's sarcasm. Being sarcastic there. I did signs. I did wonders. I gave you the whole counsel of God. The only thing I didn't do was charge you. Maybe that was my mistake. I should have charged you more like the other guys did. Because class A speakers get a fee. Sad. How do you you treat someone like this? You know the scripture that says we're not to be a respecter of persons? Right? I think we go too far in that sometimes. God's never called us to be a disrespecter of persons. Sometimes we go too far. Well, I don't want them to think I respect them because I respect no man. I respect Jesus only. And so then they become disrespectful to the person just to prove that they're not respectful of the person. That's not what God's called us to. David is our perfect example of this. I keep pushing that book out there, Tale of Three Kings. You can't find a better book. You really can't. It teaches you so much about yourself. 
1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6, David, the anointed of God, anointed by the prophet, Saul still on the throne, Saul chasing him down, throwing spears at him, couldn't find a worse king or mentor or whoever he was to David. Mean, what a mean guy he was. Here's how David treated him. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Really? We're not to be a respecter of persons, David. David says, I'm not a respecter of persons. I am a respecter of God's choice, though. Very important. This goes on into every aspect of our lives. Not just kings. We don't have a king in our country. You know? This goes on into our homes. Kids respecting their parents. Wives respecting their husbands. Husbands respecting their wives. Husbands respecting their kids. All of it. It's all important. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10 does say about these people that aren't afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. We're not called to that. There's an appropriate way to behave towards leaders. And reviling accusations against them is not appropriate. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7 does give us an appropriate response. Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It's important to apply it to these scriptures. I mean, I don't want to take it out of context. And, and in this moment, Paul is being so disrespected by this group. They've forgotten all these other passages. How can you speak about Paul this way when angels don't even speak evil of people that probably should be spoken evil of? You know, It is unprofitable for the Corinthians to not accept Paul's pastorship of their church. It's embarrassing. They're going to lose spiritual ground. They're not going to gain ground as they argue and fight and begin to look at the thorn in Paul's life and they begin to look at each other and compare each other. You can see the disaster that is the Corinthian church and how careful we all need to be. It's a dangerous thing. And so Paul, as he lets them know all these things, stop looking at my thorn. I mean, I want you to look at my thorn, but I want you to look at my thorn the right way. It's God in my life. It has nothing to do with me. I am nobody. I am nothing, he says. For I am weak, then I am strong. It's God that's being exalted in my life because of the thorn. You should be excited about the thorn like I am because God's lifted up. God's exalted. Verse 14, 
Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. Man, I underlined that. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children, and I will be very glad I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Hmm. That's a great example for all of us. If you didn't know how to be a parent or what your role was as a parent, there's a great, that's it. Your kids are not here for you. You are here for your kids. As a parent, they're not your buddies. They're not your friends. They're not your emotional support team. You are their emotional support team. You are their adult to help and to encourage and you're to bring into their life. And be spent for them. Paul says, spiritually speaking, of course, that's the text. I'm I'm jumping a little bit out of it. But he says, no, when I come to you, I'm not going to be burdensome. I'm not going to charge you even the third time I've come. No speaking fees this time. Although that would probably elevate me in your eyes. I'm not going to do it. I'll never do it. Because I love you. Because I don't seek yours. I seek you. I want you to know the Lord. I want you to draw closer to the Lord. I'm excited about your growth and your maturity, just like a parent does for the kids. I'm not looking to see what I can get for my kids. I'm looking what I can give for my kids. For children ought not lay up for their parents. Parents are supposed to lay up for their kids. And you need to do that, by the way. Take care of those kids. Be spent for those kids. They deserve it. They need it. Paul says, I'm called to it. But his lament is, the more I love, the less I'm loved. It's almost as if it's weak to you, Corinthians. The more I love you, the more I pour my life out for you, the less I'm loved, the less it's understood. And you feel his heart, verse 16. But be that as it may, (laughs) regardless of whether I'm loved back or not, I did not burden you. Nevertheless, being crafty, I caught you by cunning. I was a tricky guy. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus and sent to our brother, sent our brother uh, with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did, did we not walk in the same steps? Now, I don't know what the argument is, and I don't know what they've been saying about Paul for him to come up with this, you know, sarcasm. Um, I caught you by cunning craftiness. Of course, he didn't. He, he tells us the first time he came to Corinth, I came to you not, with nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's not very cunning. That's not very crafty. You know, you need Jesus. You, know. you tricked us. No, I didn't. And by the guys that I sent to you, weren't they of the same spirit? Wasn't Titus just like me? I mean, wasn't it like seeing mini Paul when he showed up is the idea? Or did he take advantage of you? I mean, let me know if he did. Of course he didn't. We walked the same way. Did he charge you? Did he stay too long? Did he overstay his welcome? Did he take all your food? You know, no. Verse 19 again. Do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God and Christ. We're not apologizing for anything. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification. It's the only reason I'm writing these letters. It's the only reason I came to you, is to build you up. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you as such as I wish, that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. 
Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. That's all going on. He says, I don't want to see that when I'm there. I don't want to show up and cause turmoil and tumults. You know, I don't want you to be backbiting me and whispering and all these things and all this garbage. I'm trying to correct that. You know, Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. I'm writing these letters so I can come and it can be a celebration. It can be a, re- a reunion. It can be a wonderful time of, of a teacher with his students, of a pastor with his flock, of a, whatever else you want. Friends, you know, I don't want it to be about what I'm writing here. I'm writing this so that when I show up in person, We've got that oneness, that koinonia, that fellowship as we should have. And that's what needs to take place. I'll finish this strong next week. We'll get there. Um, it's a good, a good way to close out, but I won't do it tonight. We don't have time. Paul loves these people. It's so evident. What a great example for us of what it were to look like to those around us. Everybody, I believe, should have a Paul in their lives and everybody should have a Timothy in their lives. It means an older person in the Lord and a younger person in the Lord. Someone you're bringing up and maturing and someone you can receive from. I think that's very important to have that in your life. And Paul is doing that. What a great heart he has for those who don't really understand. As a parent, maybe you get it. Kids don't respect me or they don't talk to me like they used to. It's being a little disrespectful. You know what Paul's going through. But what do you do about it? You change your tone or you continue to give and love and care? Of course you do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's heart and his love, for expressing it. As he's embarrassed to write these things, he has to. Help us to learn from these things. Ministry is giving. Serving others is serving others without any expectation of return. You just do. But for their benefit, Paul was praying that they would understand his heart in his service to them. And we do pray that for those around us. We pray that they would see us the way you see us, that they would see our faults and our flaws and our failed attempts as what the heart was right and the willingness was there. I know for me personally as a parent, and I don't want to put words in other parents' mouths, but we have regrets as parents, things we wish we'd done differently, gone about things differently. But our heart was and our intent was to be a blessing to the kids, to help them, to teach them, to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord, the ways of you. I pray that we can all see through that. Lord, help us to see each other like you see us, Lord. Maybe thorns, but that only brings you more glory in our lives. Maybe weak, but that only makes you look stronger and be strong on our behalf. God, I pray that we take off Um, Saul's armor and we go out in your armor only that we wouldn't try to put your armor on top of that Saul's armor it's too heavy we're not made for it help us to set all that down all this worldly armor that we put on to take it off and to be vulnerable and weak that you might put your armor on us and we might be strong God we might have victory in our own lives and in other people's lives I pray that you bless these folks tonight. Help them to have a nice trip home, to chew on your word, to meditate on it, to think on it, to let your Holy Spirit bring even more 
understanding or revelation. And, uh, I pray that you help us to be even a stronger church, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Love to pray with you before you leave. Otherwise, have a good rest of the night.